Reliance on a single foreign supplier can leave a nation vulnerable to extortion and intimidation. That is why we congratulate the European states, such as Poland, for leading the construction of the Baltic pipeline so that nations are not dependent on Russia to meet their energy needs. Germany will become totally dependent on Russian energy if it does not immediately change course. Sounds prescient, right? Sounds incredibly prescient, especially now as we watch Russia, the country providing two-fifths of the EU's gas and over one-fourth of its crude oil, make a wasteland of eastern Ukraine. It sounds eerily prescient now as we watch uh, every major Western European country scramble to wean itself off that dependence as retribution for Russia's aggression. But the quote isn't from, the, the quote isn't a recent one, it's from back in 2018, when Europe's energy independence was hardly on the news cycle. And guess who said it? Who had the vision to foresee so early on something that has taken another bloody war on the European continent with countless civilian casualties and over 10 million refugees already? Who, who had the vision to foresee early on something that has taken so much blood uh, to, for our Western European leaders to begin to realize? You may think that this quote was uttered by some distinguished scholar of international relations or energy politics. But the reality is that it doesn't even take a bachelor's degree to realize the inherent danger of relying on a single supplier of energy. Now, what the quote's author did have instead was a good dose of common sense. That author, as it happens, was none other than, than Donald J. Trump facing the General Assembly of the United Nations and, and met with the scornful derision and laughter of the German delegation. Germany, I should remind you, spent more than 40 billion euros on gas, oil, and coal imports from Russia in 2021 alone. Well, the Germans are not laughing now, are they? Now again, the, the title of this panel is Challenges to National Independence. Not national sovereignty, not self-government, not national freedom, and not nationalism. All of these words can seem easily interchangeable, but there, there are su subtle differences in, in their meaning. For one thing, Independence is a stronger word than sovereignty. Sovereignty, you can give up. And in fact, most of our Western nations have forfeited way too much of it to international institutions. But independence, meanwhile, is often infringed upon externally, as we're seeing with Russia's uh, brutal aggression against Ukraine. You can less easily give up your own independence. But it's not impossible, as we will see. Western nations have undermined their own independence in countless alarming ways by relying on hostile nations for their energy supplies, by contracting their infrastructure out to China, by outsourcing vital supply chains for medical supplies to countries that have no interest in seeing us recover from the pandemic, by depending for their defense and their security on the United States, or in the case of the US, by committing themselves to endless wars from which they can hardly extricate themselves once the objectives of those wars are achieved. So in a nutshell, I, I argue that, that Western nations are faced with the temptation to give away their national independence. They're being lured into giving it away in the hope of securing better access to lending, goods, services, security. Now, I argue we should think of national independence along two dimensions, becoming independent and staying independent. Few doubt that our uh, Western countries are nominally independent, right? They wrote their own constitutions and they elect their own leaders. 
But how many of them are how many of them are truly free to chart their own course in the chessboard of global politics? How many of them can call out China's persecution of its Uyghur population, or recognize Taiwan for that matter, without suffering enormous economic damage? How many of our Western European nations, after decades of underspending on their militaries, could credibly raise an army to deter foreign aggression of the kind that is being inflicted on Ukraine as we speak? So independence has many faces, political, economic, military, and the reality is that we're fully independent in none of these senses of the word. We have grown so interdependent with hostile powers like Russia, like China, that the range of options that are available to us in any given policy area has been severely restricted. But there's a deeper ill. I would submit the national independence, namely the ability to chart one's own course free from foreign interference or domination, is a principle so basic, so fundamental, that in developed countries, we've almost forgotten about it. How many of our countries have experienced a war of national independence within living memory? I mean, Israel, and there are a lot of Israelis in the room, with its heroic defense against Arab aggression in 1948, 67, and 73, used to be a source of inspiration for the West. But speaking to our Israeli friends uh, in, in, this, in this conference, I'm not convinced that the next generation of Israelis are going to be as committed to dying for their land, if necessary, as their forebears were in 1948. Ukraine surely shows the way to those still in doubt as to whether liberalism or the nation state is at stake in Ukraine right now, I would urge, I would invite to look at the bravery with which young Ukrainians are defending every last inch of their territory. People aren't prepared to die with such courage for liberal ideology, man. It's not liberalism. It must be something stronger. It must be the bonds of mutual loyalty that can only exist within a nation. But in Western Europe, our globalized post-national era of peace and prosperity has brought decadence. It has erased from memory the blood and tears required to conquer independence and to keep it. It's not just that we're not an independent country, it's that we lack the moral resources to be one. Um, now, I'd like to go back to a couple of definitions before I turn back to my star panel behind me. Um, in order to, to assess the challenges to national independence, which is the title of this panel, I'd like to go back to basics and recall Yoram's definition. Uh, one of the interesting distinctions that Yoram highlights is that nationalism cannot be uh, reduced to one manifestation in one country. In fact, nationalism is a coherent worldview according to which the world is governed best when nations are allowed to self-determine and to be independent. Something else I like about the, this definition is that it's internally consistent. The right to be independent applies to all nations equally, uh, including the nations that have earned their independence in the last century. As nationalists, we should salute every nation's bid for independence. It, it pains me to say this, because I'm not entirely sure that every country that uh, gained their independence from, say, France and the, the UK over the last century is better off outside of uh, imperial domination. But the reality is that it matters not. It matters not that, for instance, Algerians, since independence, have been ruled by a corrupt elite of oil and rich oligarchs. What matters is that they have the right to rule themselves. Now, as we will see, this principle of national independence is being met with challenges from above and below, and I'm lucky to discuss how with the star panel of uh, distinguished guests, um, one lawmaker and two young intellectuals, uh, allow me to uh, invite on stage, first of all, uh, Francesco, who will give uh, his opening speech.